You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. Let's open our Bibles together this morning. We turn to the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible. We begin our reading with chapter 8, verse 6, and we'll conclude it actually with parts of chapter 11. Fairly long reading, which is also our text for this morning. And as some of you may know, we've kind of been meandering through the book of Revelation these past years on and off. And the last part that we dealt with was the first five verses of Revelation 8 last year. And we pick up the thread with Revelation 8 verse 6 this morning. Then the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to sound them. The first angel sounded his trumpet, and there came hail and fire mixed with blood. And it was hurled down upon the earth. A third of the earth was burned up, a third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. The second angel sounded his trumpet, and something like a huge mountain all ablaze was thrown into the sea. A third of the sea turned into blood, a third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed." The third angel sounded his trumpet, and a great star, blazing like a torch, fell from the sky and a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters turned bitter. And many people died from the waters that had become bitter. The fourth angel sounded his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck, a third of the moon, a third of the stars, so that a third of them turned dark. A third of the day was without light, and also a third of the night. As I watched, I heard an eagle that was flying in midair call out in a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth because of the trumpet blasts about to be sounded by the other three angels. The fifth angel sounded his trumpet, and I saw a star that had fallen from the sky to the earth. The star was given the key to the shaft of the abyss. When he opened the abyss, smoke rose from it like the smoke from a gigantic furnace. The sun and sky were darkened by the smoke from the abyss. And out of the smoke, locusts came down upon the earth and were given power like that of scorpions of the earth. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any plant or tree, but only those people who did not have the seal of God on their foreheads. They were not given power to kill them, but only to torture them for five months. And the agony they suffered was like that of the sting of a scorpion, when it strikes a man. During those days, men will seek death, but will not find it. They will long to die, but death will elude them. The locusts looked like horses prepared for battle on their heads. They wore something like crowns of gold. And then you can read that description. We pick it up again in verse 10. They had tails and stings like scorpions, and in their tails they had power to torment people for five months. They had his king over them, the angel of the abyss, whose name in Hebrew is Abaddon and in Greek Apollyon. The first woe is past, two other woes are yet to come. The sixth angel sounded his trumpet, and I heard a voice coming from the horns of the golden altar that is before God. It said to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. And the four angels who had been kept ready for this very hour and day and month and year were released to kill a third of mankind 
The number of the mounted troops was 200 million. I heard their number. The horses and riders I saw in my vision looked like this. Their breastplates were fiery red, dark blue, and yellow as sulfur. The heads of the horses resembled the heads of lions, and out of their mouths came fire, smoke, and sulfur. A third of mankind was killed by the three plagues of fire, smoke, and sulfur that came out of their mouths. The power of the horses was in their tails and in their tails, for their tails were like snakes having heads with which they inflict injury. The rest of mankind that were not killed by these plagues still did not repent of the work of their hands. They did not stop worshiping demons and idols of gold, silver, bronze, stone, and wood idols that cannot see or hear or walk. Nor did they repent of their murders, their magic arts, their sexual immorality, or their thefts. Then we turn to chapter 11, beginning at verse 15 to the end. The seventh angel sounded his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven which said, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. And the twenty-four elders who were seated on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshipped God, saying, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, the one who is and who was, because you have taken your great power and have begun to reign. The nations were angry and your wrath has come. The time has come for judging the dead and for rewarding your servants, the prophets, and your saints, and those who reverence your name, both small and great, and for destroying those who destroy the earth. Then God's temple in heaven was opened, and within his temple was seen the ark of his covenant, And there came flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and a great hailstorm. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, be careful what you wish for. I'm sure you've all heard that expression before. It refers to the fact that sometimes we really, really want something. But we don't always see the consequences of what it is that we're longing for. And indeed, sometimes the consequences are such that later we might very well wonder why we ever wished for it in the first place. And now the same may well apply to the book of Revelation. Some of you asked a number of times for a series of sermons on this particular book of the Bible. And we started to do that some time ago. And now, this morning, we take up the thread again. And after we've read these two chapters and part of the third chapter, you might well have your second thoughts, your regrets. For let us be honest especially chapter 8 and 9 of the book of Revelation, are really challenging and difficult. Well, actually, they're even more than that. They're weird. They're depressing. They're deeply disturbing. So, do you still want me to press on? 
You want me to continue? Well, perhaps at bottom you don't, but there is a sense in which we do need to press on. So bear with me, but especially bear with the Word of God that I'll try to expound to you this morning. For like it or not, you need this, I need this, we all need it, the world needs it. What do we need? Well, we need to hear about the seven trumpets of Revelation. The seven trumpets contained in this last book of the Bible. And as you can tell, beloved, after having read it together, there is a lot in these chapters. We have a large, long text before us, and as I mentioned a moment ago, it is filled with weird stuff. And let me warn you about that for a moment. For some people, when they read these chapters of Holy Writ, they get lost in all of the details. And they try to figure out exactly what it is that every little detail, every little aspect, every little feature deals with. For example, there are commentators who will try to tell you that the locusts here really refer to Cobra helicopters armed with heat-seeking missiles. Maybe you haven't seen it yet. But some people see it. As well, there are commentators who say that the horses and the riders described here stand for some sort of mobilized ballistic rocket launcher. Interesting. But don't go there. Don't buy into all of the speculative answers and identifications that we get to hear about today. You need to handle what we have before us here this morning with care. And at the same time, you need to discern. You need to discern the basic principles that are being presented to us here by the Apostle John through the power of the Holy Spirit. And what are those basic principles? Well, the first has to do with God's mercy. Notice chapter 8 opens and we are confronted with four angels, all sounding trumpets. Now, trumpets are often heard in the Bible sometimes. They're blown for good reasons, announcing festivals and victories. At other times, they're blown for bad or ugly reasons, warning calls, what have you. Yes, and here in this part of Revelation, trumpets are being blown mostly for the last reason. They're not announcing by large good news. These are warning trumpets. And at the same time, you may have noticed that these first four trumpets announce news that can be connected to the ten plagues that took place years before in Egypt. The first trumpet sounds and down comes hail and fire. Think of the seventh plague in Exodus 9. The second trumpet sounds and a third of the sea turns to blood. Think of the first plague. The third trumpet sounds and water forms and becomes bitter. Think of the fifth plague. And the fourth trumpet sounds and darkness descends. That's reminiscent of the ninth plague in Exodus 10. 
And of course, what the trumpets announce and what the plagues produce are not carbon copies of one another, but there are obvious allusions and connections here. And next, notice what is attacked when each of these trumpets sounds. The first trumpet affects the earth, its trees and its grasses, it says. The second trumpet affects the sea or the salt water bodies of the earth. The third trumpet affects the fresh water supply and what people drink and need to survive. The fourth trumpet affects the sun, moon, stars, all the heavenly bodies. And now let's go a step further and take note of the area. The first four trumpets are all said to affect a third of the earth. You may remember that earlier in chapter 6, with the opening of the seals, we saw that a fourth of the earth was affected, and now it's a third here in chapter 8 and 9. So what does that tell you? For one, it tells you very clearly that the judgments of God are intensifying. God is turning up the heat. He's moving forward. As the history of this world unfolds, our God is not standing still. His judgments are not being placed on hold. No, they are getting worse. They're covering more ground, impacting more people, targeting more of our planet and our universe. Another thing that we should note here is that God's judgments are falling specifically on creation. It is here in these four first trumpets that the natural order is being hit. Humanity is not the first target here, but the trees and the grass and the sun and the moon and the stars. There's something else to know. And it is that God's judgments are falling on only a third of the created order. And what that means is that they're not yet total or all-encompassing or complete. No, they're still restricted, limited, circumscribed. And taken together, what this tells us is that really, if you get the whole picture, it's saying our God is slow when it comes to judgment. He moves from a quarter to a third. He's taking his time. Some people would say he's dragging his feet. He is oh so reluctant to pull the plug. And indeed he's exhibiting here what he himself talked about in Ezekiel 18. For I take no pleasure in the death of anyone, says the sovereign Lord. Repent and live. And why is this so? Why does God take no pleasure in death and in judgment? Because he is a God of mercy. He wants people everywhere to hear him and to heed him. He wants them to listen up and wisen up and smarten up. He wants them to repent and turn. And so to live. And we need to remember that, beloved. 
Do not buy into the notion that here in the book of Revelation we are dealing with a cruel, vengeful, callous, and vindictive God. Nothing could be further from the truth. In the slowness of his judgment, we see the vastness of his mercy. But yet that is not all that we see. For now, as we turn to the fifth and the sixth trumpets, we see the cruelty of evil. You may have noticed in between the first four trumpets and trumpets number five and six, there is an interruption described in verse 13. It's connected to an eagle who announces three woes. And that really means that things are now changing. And how they are changing. For look, the angel sounds the fifth trumpet, and it is as if the eighth plague of Egypt is back with a vengeance. Or it speaks of locusts. It opens with a star falling from the sky to earth, with the star being given the key to the shaft of the abyss or the bottomless pit, The abyss opens and smoke billows out, and out of that smoke there come all these locusts. And it's a really horrific picture. And it doesn't stop there. For if you look carefully, you'll see all these locusts are abnormal. They don't, as they usually do here, attack the grass. Rather, they attack people. Specifically, it says, they attack all those people who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. Verse 4. In other words, they attack the unbelievers, the rebels, the lawless, who inhabit the earth. They attack the unsealed. And they do so for a considerable period of time. Normally, when a plague of locusts arrives, it kind of comes and goes, it sweeps through in a matter of days. But these locusts, they stay around for weeks and months, even for five months. And the suffering that they inflict upon people, it says, is great. Verse 6 comments, during those days, men will see death, but they will not find it. They will long to die. But death will elude them. How great the suffering. And no wonder. For look closely at these locusts. What kind of locusts are they? Well, you have a description of them in the verses 7 to 10. And they win no beauty shows and no popularity contests. These guys are gross. And they're gross because they're all demonic. These aren't normal locusts. These are demonized locusts. And that becomes evident not only from them, but also from their leader. Verse 11 says they have a king over them. And this king is the angel of the abyss. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon, which means destruction. 
And in Greek, his name is Apollyon, which means exterminator. So what we have here is a demonic leader unleashing demonic locusts. But that's not all. For look now, the sixth trumpet sounds, and what comes next? Four angels. And we think, good, we've had enough of these locusts. But not so fast, because these aren't nice angels. They've been bound on the other side of the Euphrates, and you need to understand, if you live in the Middle East, that that always spells trouble. Everything that comes from the other side of the Euphrates River always spells death and destruction. That's where all the evil invading forces come from. The kind that ravage our land, that destroy our cities, that kill our people. And how true. Well, look, verse 15 says that once these angels are unbound, they are released to kill a third of mankind. And how do they do so? By means of horses and their riders. Here comes the cavalry. Only look what a vast and vicious cavalry. Look to it how they're depicted in the verses 16 to 19. In in many respects, they are as ugly and as terrifying and destructive as those locusts. Together they go on the attack. Together they kill a third of mankind. Together they bring plagues of fire, smoke, and sulfur, which really are the agents of hell. But, who do they attack in the end? As we said earlier, they attack the unsealed. Can you believe it? The book of Revelation says evil attacks evil. Like kills like. And probably that surprises us. And it catches us rather off guard. We hadn't expected that, had we? We thought all these evil forces surely must be arraigned in the first place against the church and the people of God. But they're not. They're they're ranged against their own kind. And if you think of it, isn't that the way it always is with evil? History is full, literally full, of cruel leaders who care nothing for their troops and not an ounce for their citizens. They use them as cannon fodder. They sacrifice them without a second thought. They order them to charge into death and into disaster. How many millions of their own troops and people have leaders like Hitler, Stalin, and Mao not led to the slaughter 
How many people today do not die in Africa and Asia at the hands of their very own leaders? And it's all a reminder to us, beloved, a graphic reminder that evil is cruel. That it has no cohesion, it has no glue, it has no fellowship, it has no love, it has no tenderness, it has no care. Evil and all those connected to evil only know pride and selfishness and lust and brutality and violence and depravity. You know, think for a moment of Judas Iscariot. After he had done his dastardly deed of betraying our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, he was filled with remorse. So he goes back to the people who had hired him in the first place and he explains his predicament to them. And what do they say to him? Huh. What's that to us? That's your responsibility. You've got a guilty conscience? You don't want those pieces of silver? That's your problem. We don't care about you. We only want to use you. And that's evil. Evil devours evil. And remember that, beloved. Sometimes, you know, the world of the unsealed looks so attractive and so enticing. It's filled with all manner of glitter and allure. And it looks like it's... It's got a monopoly on fun and excitement, but really, you know, on the inside, it's cold and heartless and cruel and abusive and destructive. There is no limit to the cruelty of evil. That's what Revelation is telling you here. That's what John is saying through the Spirit. There is no limit. To the cruelty of evil. And does that surprise you? Well, here's something else that should surprise you, and it has to do with the stupidity, the absolute abject stupidity of unbelief. You find that described in the verses 20 and 21 of chapter 9. There you meet the reaction of the survivors to all of these trumpets and all the calamities that they bring. And who are the survivors? They are the rest of mankind that were not killed by all these plagues. In other words, here you have the remainder of the unsealed. So what about these people? What do these people do? How how do they react to the horrors that they have seen and witnessed? What lessons have they learned? What ideas, what conclusions have they now taken to heart? And the answer is nothing. Nothing. It says they still did not Repent. They didn't stop worshipping their demons and their idols. They didn't repent of their murders and their magic arts and their sexual immorality and their thefts. They keep going merrily on their way. 
Can you imagine that? Is there anything dumber than this? Is there anything more ignorant? Is there anywhere a measure of greater stupidity? But yet that too is our world. What, I ask you, has mankind learned from these experiences of the past few years? A huge tsunami in Indonesia, earthquake and tsunami in Japan, earthquake in China, earthquake in Haiti, floods in Pakistan, AIDS and famine in Africa, economic meltdown in North America and Europe. The warning signs are everywhere, every day, and mankind still does not repent. All the unsealed are stuck in the stupidity of their unbelief. That's another lesson that you learn here in the book of Revelation. But then what about the sealed? What about those who believe in Christ Jesus as Savior and as Lord? Well, for them... There is the vindication of the seventh seal, the seventh trumpet. We skip to chapter 11, and what do we see? We see heaven, the, the seventh angel sounds his trumpet, and we hear voices in heaven, and we're told about the 24 elders, and we see heaven and the temple and the ark, followed by lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and a great hailstorm. What's this? But you can say this is the book of Revelation's special way of encouraging harassed, persecuted, suffering saints both then as well as now and in between and in the days to come. This is Revelation's way of reminding us that while there is trouble on earth, there is triumph in heaven. And notice it's a triumph that opens with a proclamation. The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of our Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. No matter what devastation happens on earth, no matter what the devils and the demons all do, no matter how the unsealed react or do not react, God's kingdom is coming. The second petition will be fulfilled. The king will reign. And nothing can stand in his way. And then notice, added to proclamation, there is also adoration. Consider the 24 elders and what they say. We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, the one who is and was, because you have taken your great power and have begun to reign. Notice what's missing here. Normally the expression is who was, who is, and who is to come. But here the last part is missing. The who is to come 
has come. God is praised. Praised for his power and for the fact that he is about to begin his reign. And as well, God is praised for all of his deliberations. The nations were angry. Your wrath has come. The time has come for judging the dead, for rewarding your servants, the prophets, and your saints, and those who reverence your name, both small and great, and for destroying those who destroy the earth. Three things. God will judge the dead, both believing and unbelieving. God will vindicate his prophet and his saints. And God will destroy the destroyers. Are you sometimes bothered by all the injustice, the cruelty, and the abuse in the world today? Be patient. Revelation is saying here, God will sort it out. He will show himself in time to be a righteous judge. The dead he will raise to life, either in heaven or in hell. The saints he will crown with glory and honor. The unsealed he will destroy. God will take care of all the loose ends. And you don't have to worry with your little mind. Because he'll take care of it. And finally, God will welcome his people. He will welcome us home. And notice what a home. Here in Revelation, it's compared to to an open temple, to an ark that we can see that's visible, and to, as it were, the applause of the heavens. You may know that in the Israel of old, the temple was, for the most part, off-limits. And the ark was especially so. There were all of these do not trespass signs everywhere. You can't go here. You can't go there. And there was this distance between God and his people. This this long, great, holy distance. But John says no longer. For on that great day, God's heavenly temple will be open and accessible to all the children of God. And that ark, which reminds us of the very presence of God and the word of God and the blood of the covenant, it will be visible and on display. And everything that's hidden will be revealed. And then, of course, you are still wondering about the lightning, the rumblings, the peals of thunder, the earthquake, and the hailstorm, right? Well, wonder no more, for it simply means that God is alive and living among his people. All this light and noise and power is symbolic of his majesty, power, and presence. He is there. And we are there. And we are there being rewarded. Only remember, the reward is not of merit, but only of grace. 
The grace of God in Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.